Worship, worship is sweet um, because it gives us this foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. And that's why it's so crucial. It was so sweet about this morning. It's like hundreds of people came with their heart ready to like explode and holy, holy, holy. He is so not like us. And he's so not like anything that we read about here in the news. He's so not like, like he is so other. And like one day we're going to stand and like unhindered by sin and unclouded by sin, we're going to be able to sing, like join in the, with the angels and sing with absolute purity, knowing fully what it means to sing holy, holy, holy. That's sweet, folks. That is sweet. All right, I'm not going to preach on that, so let's go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, if you need a Bible under a seat close by, you can find a Bible. And we would love for you to get that Bible out because we love when Bibles are laying in laps because we want you to know something around here. When, when someone comes up and gives like a, what we call a message, if you're new to church world, you might hear this called a sermon or a message. Um, um, we want you to know that why we love Bibles on the laps is so that you see what we're saying is what God has to say. Like, like listen. It doesn't matter what anyone who stands up here thinks about anything, okay? It matters what God says about it. And he's given us his word, and we can know what he has to say about, some of the, uh, about everything in life. Are we grateful for that? And so we get Bibles on the laps, and we get them open in front of us because God's got some stuff he wants to say to his people. And that is sweet for us. Philippians chapter 1, we're in this series called Gospel Joy as we walk through the book of Philippians. I got to say, um, last week we talked about this great, uh, this great ability, this great blessing we have of being partners in the gospel. And we said, let's be army church. And I just got to say, I love our army. We had 70 people this morning being trained in what our, what's called our Uncommon Leadership Course, um, training disciple makers, training future small group leaders. Uh, last week, another just under 70 of you said, I'm ready to get in the game and start serving here. Another just under 70 of you said, I want to partake in the blessings of gospel community, and I want to get into a small group. And I just got to say, I love our army church. I love it. And I'm so thankful for you all, and I'm so thankful for what God's doing in our midst. And thank you for just not being a church that is okay with just coming and sitting and then going and not participating in this. And may this always be the case until the day Jesus comes back for this church. Amen? Amen. Philippians chapter 1, we continue uh, our study. And as we continue, um, let, me, let me define this word for us. You're going to see it on the screen. Sacrifice. Sacrifice is an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more valuable. So think about this, a sacrifice, when we say that person sacrificed, a sacrifice is giving up something of value for the sake of something we deem of greater value. So um, let's talk about how this plays out in our life. There are times and there are people and there's been circumstances where we have sacrificed for something and we've maybe done it out of a sense of duty or obligation. I'm not knocking that. There just comes some times where we're like, you know what? I got to sacrifice for this. And out of a sense of duty or obligation, I need to sacrifice. There are other times and other seasons where we have sacrificed something and we've done it motivated by pure joy. Parents... You have joyfully sacrificed some things for your children, amen? Amen. <laughs> amen. Joyfully. 
husbands, wives, at times, we have joyfully sacrificed some things for our spouse. Guys, thank you. (laughs) Brownie points, boom. I so married up in this category. Corey gave me an amen over here, I think, to that. I so married up in this category. A a wife who constantly is sacrificing big and small things. Uh, A couple years ago, um, the Final Four, college basketball Final Four was in Indianapolis, and my Michigan State Spartans were in it. And um, so my wife, can you believe this? She sacrificed a day, like one of our off days, to go down to a Final Four practice with me. Practice, not a game. Practice. She took me to a Final Four practice, and we're sitting in there. And now you got to understand something. My wife's love of sports on a scale of one to ten is like a negative three. (laughs) And so we're in there, and she's sitting in the seat next to me, and she's asking me questions. Is this guy any good? And why are they doing this? And like, I know she does not care one ounce about it. But in that moment, I'm like, babe, I've never been more attracted to you in my life. (laughs) sacrificing a day off to go sit at a basketball practice with me. We, big or small, we all know what it's like to sacrifice. Um, this, this guy who wrote this letter, his name is Paul, and if you've grown up in church world, you know his backstory, but basically great hater of Jesus to greatest missionary proponent for Jesus in the church. Um, he's writing a letter. He's writing a letter back to some Jesus followers in this city called Philippi. And who remembers where Paul is writing this letter from? Where's he writing this letter from? He's writing it from prison. So get there, you know, like as, as the pen moves, the chains are kind of clanking. He is under guard in prison. Here's some things we do know about Paul's imprisonment here. Uh, we know uh, that he was guarded by soldiers. We're going to see how God uses that for a blessing. We know that he's allowed visitors. We've already seen how God has used that as a blessing. As, um, the, the Philippians hear that he's in prison and they send a gift to go and aid Paul in his imprisonment. We also know that it appears Paul is able to share the gospel while he is in prison. But don't miss this. This is a letter written by a man in prison. And once again... As we study a couple verses today, we're going to run into this word, I rejoice. I have joy. I delight in. I am glad in. And as I'm studying this, I just want to like, I wish I, Paul, time out. Bro, you're in prison. Not pleasant, not what you would ask for, but what we're going to see here is that Paul is gladly willing to sacrifice some things, namely his freedom, for the advancement of this message called the gospel. Here's the question we're going to be confronted with today. How valuable is that gospel message to me? Of what value have I assigned? Uh, Remember, we defined it last week. The gospel is the good news message 
that Jesus, by his grace, takes us from hopelessly dead in our sin to abundantly and eternally alive in him. Of what value have I assigned this message of getting to lost people, of getting to those who don't know Jesus? How valuable is that back to me? And how we know how valuable that is, is by what we are willing to gladly, joyfully sacrifice in order for that gospel message to advance. How valuable is the gospel to us? what we're going to be confronted with today. Pray with me. Father, here's what we know. We know that we sacrifice daily for things. We know that there are things in our world that are of such value to us. And Lord, we know that those are good things. The question of today's message is not whether we should sacrifice or love those good things you've entrusted to us. Lord, the question we have to let you confront in our hearts today is of what value, how much do we love the thought of the gospel going forth to those who don't know Jesus and what are we willing to gladly, joyfully delight in sacrificing so that may happen? Father, I know this is true, that unless you take this word, these few verses we're going to study today, and unless, Lord, your spirit just drives them right to the heart of our heart, Lord, it's just words. So God, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit right now, would you accomplish that which you set forth to accomplish in every individual's heart this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 1, get here, verse 12. I am so fired up for this right here. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to what? Get there now. Understand what he just said. Guys, A missionary of the gospel just went to prison. And this church who's back in Philippi, they get where Paul Paul, Paul got arrested. Paul's in prison. They they rally the troops, collect an offering, send an offering um, with one of their most trusted members to Paul to aid him in his imprisonment. But we have to feel this. We can't just leave this intellectual, yeah, Paul went to prison. No, no, no. This would be like us sending out a missionary to an area of the world that is hostile, hostile to the gospel and us getting word back here on Sunday morning, they went to prison. We don't know what's happening to them as we speak. We don't know what's going to happen for them. Feel the urgency of this. And the gift comes, and Paul is writing this thank you letter with some instructions back to them. And as he gets, after kind of the warm opening, he gets to verse 12, and he says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me, this imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel Hear the tone. They're worried. They're sitting in Philippi, and Paul isn't playing up on that. Oh, guys, like, let's freak out. I don't know what's going to go on, and I can't believe, and I've given my life to spread this gospel, and look at where it's gotten me. No, he's like, God, listen, listen, listen. God's using this to spread this gospel even greater. How? Verse 13. So that... It's really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole 
imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Think about this. Paul says, guys, let me tell you something. This is awesome. My going to prison. You know those guards that watch me? Uh, The imperial guard. It's the emperor's uh, secret service. It's the cream of the crop of the soldiers. Whoever guards the emperor has got to be a stud. Capital S. Trained to kill you with like two fingers. These are the guys who are part of, you know, part of their duty is to guard kind of the emperor's prisoners. And so listen, the imperial guard is hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Was it just a couple of them? What's it say? The whole thing. And oh, by the way, guys, be encouraged. It's not just the guards who are hearing the gospel. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to who? And all the rest. That my imprisonment is for Christ. Guards are hearing the gospel. The rest of the prisoners are hearing about the gospel. Everyone's hearing about Jesus in here. Imagine how that would be so true. Um, you, you, you go to prison. Paul gets thrown into prison. I don't know this from experience, but I do know typically what's, what's a common question when you're sitting in there amongst prisoners. Hey, what you in for? What you in for? You got Frank in the corner, and he's laundered some money. You got Joe over here, and he's not paid taxes in years. You got Sam. He stole some stuff. And you just imagine, what you in for? Hey, Paul, what you in for? Oh, I was telling people about Jesus. What? One of these things is not like the other. Imagine, Paul, what are you in for? Oh, I was telling people about Jesus. Hold, hold on, time out. Who's Jesus? Okay, that's who Jesus is. And why are you in prison for talking to people about this Jewish rabbi that you follow? Oh, let me tell you about that. And then can you imagine how more and more prisoners come in? What's she in about? Let me tell you about, but Paul, Paul's in, this, this dude's in for some crazy stuff right here. He was telling people about Jesus. Let me tell you about this Jesus guy that he was talking about. Do you see what God is doing in the midst of this? And that Paul's like, listen, this is good. If I wouldn't have chosen it. It's not the plan I would have had. I'd be out going town to town sharing the gospel. But if this is where God has planted me, guys, the gospel is going forth here. First point, write it down. What if we could say with integrity, I have joy in the gospel advancing even when it costs me. I have joy, I delight in the gospel advancing, even when it costs me. Now, what do we mean when it costs us? We certainly know the cost of Paul's imprisonment here, but what do we mean when it costs us? Um, what, what do we do with the seasons and the circumstances in life that we did not ask for, we wouldn't have chosen, we don't want? Frankly, uh, they bring great pain. They weigh heavy on us. 
How do we be all about the advancement of the gospel in seasons we never would have asked for? Let me say it like this. What if we started living with this question on the forefront of our mind in every circumstance? Where is the gospel opportunity in this? Hey, sometimes God just showers blessings and everything's looking up and to the right. And it is easy in those times to go, God is good. Let me tell you about him. I can't give any credit. Look at the success of our business. No credit at all to me. Let me tell you about my good God. Where's the gospel opportunity when the seasons are sunny? But then where's the gospel opportunity when they're not? What does it look like for us to have joy in the advancement of the gospel even when it costs us? Guy owns a business. He's owned it for decades. He has poured his blood, sweat, and tears literally into it. He has seen the Lord shine down on him and seasons of abundant blessing. And now he's in a season where it's all going belly up. There's no cash left. There's no business coming in to allow cash to be left. The Lord is closing it. Where's the gospel opportunity in that? What if the gospel opportunity is in his business buddies, coworkers and employees, those in the career, those in the industry who are watching all of this implode? And what if as the business implodes, they're watching that his life is not imploding? They're watching, yeah, you can tell there's some pain and there's some tears and there's some, man, it's hard. But it's like he just took a body shot as a boxer and not a knockout blow. And question, people start to ask questions. What do you, how are you doing, what do you, how are you thinking through this? What are you, what are you doing to process this? And he goes, listen, I don't like this. I don't want this. I foresaw me ending my days working in this business. But let me tell you something. This business was never the foundation of my life. This career was never what ultimately brought me safety, security, and purpose. Can I tell you about who is the foundation of my life? Where's the gospel opportunity in that? Not for this to really hit home, but to make the point what does it look like to, for us to take joy in the gospel advancing even when it costs us? How do we hold on to a piece of joy when the death of a loved one strikes? Last weekend, a young woman just in her early 40s stands next to the casket of her husband. Uh, young kids, young marriage, I mean... And um, some of my family's the last one through that receiving line to love on her and to pay respects to her husband. And here's what she says to them. 
Our greatest prayer for today was that the gospel would go forth with clarity, and it did. That's a young wife whose life just got rocked. Who in the whirlwind of trying to, I'm sure, figure out, how do I, okay, how do I raise these kids now? What is this all going to look like? That's a young woman who in the midst of that said, where's the gospel opportunity in this? And I'm not saying that we're some sick and twisted people, that we take joy in our businesses failing and we take joy in the death. Well, that's not what the point. The point is, if our joy is tethered to this thing called Jesus and his name going forward, there's some joy we can cling to in the midst of even circumstances like that. And you see this here with Paul sitting in a prison. Guys, listen. What's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. And we see the gospel advancing inside the walls of the prison. Now transition with me. Paul's going, not only is the gospel advancing inside the walls of the prison, my imprisonment, me sitting in here in these chains, is actually being used by God to advance the gospel outside of the walls of the prison. Look at what verse 14 says. Let me pick it up. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more, you say it, they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. Think about what he just said. I go to prison and... We're sharing the gospel with the guards. We're sharing the gospel with the other prisoners. The gospel's advancing here. But somehow, God used my imprisonment to increase the boldness of unbelievers outside the prison. And the gospel is going forth even with greater fervor than before I was in prison. Second question, what if we could say with integrity this? I have joy when my gospel suffering leads to others' gospel sharing. I have joy in that. When something that's being inflicted on me is leading to others' boldness to carry the gospel forward. Go, just unpack Paul's logic in verse 14. My imprisonment has led to others' confidence in where? In where? In the Lord. Not in Paul, not in themselves. My imprisonment has led to others' confidence in the Lord. This, in turn, has led them to greater boldness. Oh, how this was the prayer of the first Jesus followers. Lord, make us more bold. You see it. When you study the New Testament, when you read the book of Acts, you see, Lord, make us more bold. More boldness. The prayer of Acts is not the prayer of American Christianity, Lord, make us safe. And every time you see boldness appear, here was the purpose of the boldness, and you see it in this verse right here, that has led them to speak the word without what? Without fear. What if our gospel suffering leads to others' greater boldness in gospel sharing. Now, it's really, really important for us in this day that we talk about what do we mean by gospel suffering? Because when we study something like this, it's really easy to see it. Paul is in prison for telling people about Jesus. We get what that kind of gospel suffering looks like. What does it look like for us in central Indiana, American culture? Is there even such thing as gospel suffering? Anyone want to answer? 
And what does that look like? Uh, maybe let's unpack it a bit. Maybe it's more verbal in nature sometimes in our culture than it is um, physical, but certainly it seems to be trending in a direction. Who recognizes this guy? Who is it? Timmy T. Every Christian's favorite athlete, amen? <clears throat> I mean, this is a guy who in our generation may be one of the most outspoken Christian athletes of our day. That outspokenness for Christ has certainly endeared a generation of Christians around him. It has also alienated some folks away from him. Uh, read the comments on a YouTube video about him. Read the comments after an article about him. Uh, scroll down past the article on ESPN.com and see what some people have to say about our beloved Tim Tebow. Boldness for Christ has been caught with some flack and attacks towards him. Who, who, maybe you're not into athletic. Who, who recognizes this guy? Um, and uh, the way that he only can has had some very pointed things where he stood on what the Bible says about some stuff. In the process, some people don't think too highly of him. Does he look like a guy who gives a rip what people <laughs> think about him? And so you see that there's some... Um, when the name of Jesus comes out, our culture sometimes doesn't know how, what to do with that. And people can lash out in response. Let's take maybe this gospel suffering thing. Certainly suffering for Christians in other parts of the world are of much more extreme measures than even things we are facing here. But let's take it down to the street level for us. Um, guys sitting in the break room at work and a cultural, hot cultural issue comes up and the guy's just kind of listening and all of a sudden, he chimes in with some thoughts, and he kind of, as he does, he turns some of the discussion to some biblical principles in the process, and then he drops the Jesus name in the table. And man, when he drops that, like, people start squirming. Some just, oh, look, I better get back to my desk. Some leave, and others, you can tell, are kind of angry. Oh, don't bring that in here. There's no place for that in here. And shortly after dropping the Jesus name, like he's left at a table kind of by himself and he's sitting there and he's going, well, that was an epic failure. What if his boldness in that moment was about the people at the table, yes, but was also about the Christians sitting two tables over who just witnessed this? Who in the process, the Lord's going, hey, more boldness like that. More boldness like that. We don't know how God at times is using some of our gospel, quote, suffering to embolden some other gospel sharing. And Paul's imprisonment is being used by God to increase the boldness of believers outside of prison to speak the word without fear. Now, verse 15, he's going to tell us, he's going to tell us now about two camps of these preachers who are proclaiming this gospel that he has just said is going on. Verse 15, some indeed... Preach Christ from two words. What are they? From envy and 
from envy and rivalry. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter, those preaching out of goodwill, do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, those preaching out of envy and rivalry, proclaim Christ out of, what's it say? Out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What is up with that? So Paul goes, listen, praise God, gospel's going forth in the prison, gospel's going forth outside of the prison. Now, let me tell you about two groups of preachers preaching this gospel. One, preaching out of goodwill. They're on the team. They're all about the gospel going forward. They're preaching motivated by love, motivated by God's glory, and motivated by helping be a part of the defense of the ministry God's given to me. Now let's talk about the others. There's another group of preachers out here. And they're preaching, Paul says, out of uh, what, three, kind of three ways he described it. First word was, starts with an E, was envy. They're preaching out of, starts with an R. And they're preaching out of, kind of underneath that, selfish ambition. Now, listen closely. Because of what Paul is about to say in verse 18, don't look yet. Because of what he's about to say in verse 18, I do not believe that these people are preaching a false gospel by the letter of it. Hang with me. Because of what Paul's about to rejoice in in verse 18, I don't think they're preaching a false gospel by the purity of the theology of it. They are preaching what might be a pure theological gospel with awfully impure motives. They're preaching out of envy. They've seen the, 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 the significance. They've seen the, pla- they've seen the influence that God has given to Paul, and they're jealous of that. I want that. They're preaching out of rivalry. They're preaching it out of selfish ambition. They're using the gospel as a way to further their platform. Listen, God will not look down fondly on that. And in the process, it says they're inflicting punishment on Paul. How are they doing that? They're like, oh, you, you know, you've heard that. Hey, Paul's in prison. There's some shots they're lobbing out at him. But... Because of what he said, I rejoice that the gospel goes forth. I believe this is about impure motives, maybe not totally impure theology. What, let me help illustrate that. Let me help illustrate what I mean by that. If you've been around Harvest, you've heard this story before. Um, but in college, uh, for a couple years, a group of athletes from Wabash College, we would go over to Maun, Botswana in Africa. And we would um, go in and we would do uh, sports clinics. If you show up in a village with a couple soccer balls, you'll get the whole village out there. And you play uh, games and play soccer with them for a while. And then at the end you say, can I tell you a story? Hey, they will listen to that story. And so we would go in, we'd do some sports things, we'd gather them all up, we'd share the gospel through an interpreter, and just amazing, amazing time. We partnered with an African ministry over there called One Way Ministries. Um, One Way Ministries was led by a group of, of natives on the ground there, native Botswanan people. And so Pastor Ray Mensa uh, from Ghana, he moved to Botswana as a missionary. He raised up this team of natives on the ground, and they were kind of the full-time missionaries we would partner with over there. There was one missionary on this team who, like, cream of the crop, leader of leaders, so magnetic. Her name was Kelly. And um, 
just, we remember like coming back and just talking about Kelly, like, oh my goodness, how God was using her, the leader that she was. And so we were floored years later when we got word back in America that Kelly had made an attempt to get Pastor Ray to fail morally. And in the aftermath of this, we were trying to figure out what was going on. Um, through a series of just intense prayer in that village, it came to light um, that when Pastor Ray came from Ghana to Botswana, Kelly had been planted by the town witch doctor in a multi-year attempt to take the ministry out, grow to a position of influence, um, get everyone to trust you, and when it looks like there's a crack in the foundation, go after Pastor Ray and let's just take the ministry out. Praise God for the Lord's protection on that. The ministry has flourished in spite of that. And in the aftermath of this, we're like grieving this. We're grieving this. And it was awful. And we're trying to come to terms like, Lord, but what that woman we saw, like what? A light bulb went on for me. Hear this now. It's not advocating for this model of ministry. But I went... I stood in those villages. I listened to the gospel she spoke out of her mouth. It was theologically accurate. The gospel she spoke was what the gospel of this word says. I believe many of these kids came to know Jesus because of the accuracy in which she presented the gospel. Now, she presented the gospel accurately with her mouth while the whole time her heart doesn't even know the gospel and she is actively opposing the gospel. God could use even his enemies to advance his gospel message to build his kingdom. Do you understand what I'm saying with this? That you had like a pure gospel in word going out that God was using. All the while you had this impure heart of someone who doesn't even know the gospel themselves. And so you have these impure preachers of the gospel message. And then when you get to verse 18, you expect, you expect Paul to just, Paul ain't a soft dude. And you expect him just, let me go after the motives of these men trying to cut down our ministry, even if they are saying things that are correct by the letter. Look at what he says, though, in 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, in that I rejoice. Oh, and the verse ain't done there. Yes, and I will what? Yes, and I will rejoice. Good motives or bad motives. What I care is that the gospel goes forth, and as he comes to the end of that verse, he says, and that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Literally, he says, and that joy, joy. And that, not just joy, joy, joy. Because Paul's joy was tethered to the gospel going forward, even if others were throwing his name in the mud in the process of it, even if it meant he had to sit in prison. <clears throat> it was about the gospel going forward. Last thing, I have joy when Christ is shared, no matter the sharer's motives.
He says, whether in pretense or in truth, I don't care. As long as that gospel message is getting to lost people. Paul's sent in prison. And yet his joy is intact. Why? Because the gospel going forward was of more value to him than his own freedom. Yes, even his own life. And now I'm like, my biggest fear on Sundays like this is that we just, we leave, we leave that in the biblical world. We leave that in the ancient world. Okay, Paul went to prison and he suffered for the gospel. And like, wow, that's really inspiring. Get this to Southside, Central Indiana this morning. A sacrifice is an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as what? As what? More valuable. We always think of sacrifice as heavy, but the, the, by the definition of sacrifice, yes, we're giving up something of value, but we're gaining something of more value in the process. Joy. There's joy in gaining something of more value. And Paul says, the gospel going forth is of more value to me than life itself. Folks, listen. We believe some things that God tells us in this book, and I want us to be very clearly reminded of it today. Um, we believe as Christians that the years we walk on this earth are not all that there are. That when God, creator God, created man and he created woman, he didn't create them to go, you're going to walk on the earth for this set amount of years and then boom, gone, poof, no more. Creator God creates us, and folks, listen to me, there is an eternity. There is an eternity. And now he tells us about this eternity. He says um, there are, very plainly, two paths of eternity. One um, that he calls the narrow road. And the narrow road is this eternity where we get to be with God. We get to. It's this privilege. We get to be with God, unhindered, un, 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 I can't even come up with the words. Unhindered by sin. Unclouded by sin. Where we sing holy, 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 and we know with fullness what that actually means what we're saying there's a path of eternity and it comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ where we get to be in the presence of God the way he designed it to be all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 but now army listen to me The clear teaching of the Bible is that there is another path. And sometimes I fear that I, I'm not even going to put this on, I 
believe that intellectually and live as, live as if I'm an atheist and don't believe it in practice. That God says there's another path and this path is a path of those who don't know Jesus Christ as their savior. God calls it, and we don't even say this word in our culture, God calls it hell. And when we throw around, what the hell? When people say, go to hell, we don't even know what we're saying. You would not wish this on your worst enemy. Folks, this is a call to ask, will we value the gospel message, the good news message, in such a way that we would willingly, joyfully, gladly sacrifice some things so, make, so we make sure the people walking down the broad path can hear the message of good news. Jesus, as Paul goes on and writes in the book of Philippians, we're gonna to come to in a couple weeks, but he says this, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now let me talk about Jesus, Paul says. Who? Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Savior we follow paid the ultimate sacrifice for us who are one day on the broad road and for all of the people who are today on the broad road. And he has now entrusted to us this good news message of how people get off the broad road and onto the narrow road. And if he, the author of the ultimate sacrifice, sacrificed that much, why would we not think that in part of telling the story we would have to sacrifice in the process of it? Church, I'm calling us out of safety, comfort, security. I'm calling us out of valuing our reputation more than we value sharing Christ. Dare I say, I'm calling us out of loving our lives more than we love the lost people desperately in need of the gospel. Will I value what my neighbor thinks of me less so that I would value more him hearing the gospel just one house over from me.
when I value the life of my coworker more than I value what they think of me and what I tell them, I have good news for you. What if we became Jesus people that no matter the circumstances began to ask, where's the gospel opportunity here? And oh Lord, would you give us boldness to take it? What if as a gospel advancing army today, we left convinced that to sacrifice for the gospel, it doesn't really feel like a sacrifice at all. Rather, it's the greatest path to joy that we could ever experience. What if we leave prepared to sacrifice for the message of the ultimate sacrifice and together we say, regardless of the cost, my joy advances when the gospel advances. And together in following the one who for the joy set before him endured the cross, we say for the joy set before us, we endure anything because we believe from the depths of our heart that regardless of what we have to sacrifice, suffer, regardless of the cost, Lord, the joy of knowing that these people now know you will outweigh anything I have to give up in the process. We stand with me as I pray. Father, Lord, you, you, you know the, gate, the great confrontation in my own heart this week to go, do I experience joy in sacrificing so others will come to know you? Oh God, I pray. I pray us away from joy in things that are so temporal in nature. I pray us away from us finding joy in things that will never last so that we can find joy in a message of blessings that will never go away. God, help us to love lost people more. Help us to love them more than we love ourselves more than we love our comfort, more than we love our safety, more than we love our our reputation, more than we love what they think of us. God, let us love them more. And that's not a sacrifice. We're not like, oh, I'm doing this out of duty. When we study what Paul says, when we study your first followers, they're like, that's joy. Oh God, let us experience the joy of being willing to give up anything necessary to see your name and your fame and the good news of the message of the gospel advance. Lord, I believe we will only live like that when we understand in the depths of our hearts the joy set before you when you went to the cross on our behalf. Grip our own hearts with the gospel, Lord, so we can share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen.